All right, so today we're going to talk about perspective. We all have our own perspective, our own unique way of seeing things, different views, different angles. Um, and if we go ahead and put up this picture, this is my son, our son, looking at a big picture at the Clifford Still Museum here in Denver. When Jordan is looking at this picture, he's looking at it from the eyes of Jordan. He's looking at it, there's just paint. You can't see much of the painting, but there's black, there's white, there's red, there's kind of a cream color, and it's just kind of these strips of color. And you might look and go, well, that's dumb, or that's nothing. And someone else might look and go, wow, that's amazing. And he had gone with my dad and his wife, and Susan had said, he just sat there and stared and stared and stared at this painting. For whatever reason, he found something in that that caused him to just see it. Someone else, hundreds of people have seen this painting. Some of them may have stopped and done the same thing. Some people may have walked by and went, I don't even know, it's just paint, I could have done that at home. But we all have our own unique perspectives. Our perspective is our interpretation of the way we see and understand something. So all of our perspectives are based on things like our upbringing, our religion, our thoughts, our training, maybe our education. Some of these things are based on positive things, like our successes or our victories. And some of our perspectives come from negative things, hurts, wounds, bad experiences, right? And that, that helps our perspective. The definition of perspective is a particular attitude towards something or a way of regarding something. A point of view, position, view, angle, attitude, outlook, slant, approach, interpretation, or stance. So I imagine if we think about it, God is speaking to us about our perspective all the time. I don't think we realize it, but God is always talking to us about how we see things. How are we hearing things? Are we being offended? What are we doing with the information and we are the generation of a lot of information. We are receiving more information than any other person, any other time in humanity, right? We are receiving constant information that is changing our perspective. And what are we doing with that information? And how are we allowing it for us to see the world around us? How are we allowing it for us to see God? This morning we're going to be reading about some people in the Bible who needed God's perspective. They were people who were facing extreme difficulty, but yet they were able to be, see beyond that and see to something greater. We will be asking the Lord to reset our perspective. Anybody ever need to do that? Lord, can you reset my perspective? I have to do that all the time. I get in my thing, or I get in, you know, you get in that funk, or you have a bad attitude, and before you know it, you're griping about everything, you're complaining about it. I had a friend one time, I ran a preschool. And I hired this friend of mine to help me run the school. And she, we were very close. The preschool was in my home, so we did church and life together, so she knew me really well. Um, Mark and I were her youth leaders back in the day. Um, and so one day I was, we were standing in the kitchen between our sessions, and I was complaining about this and that and the other. And she's like, Kara, can I tell you something? And I was like, you know when someone says that to you and you're like, no? <laughs> I'm like, of course. And she's like, so, I don't know how to say this, but you're, you're always complaining. And I said, okay. 
And she said, you complain about your kids, you complain about the church, you complain about the preschool, you complain about this. And she said, honestly, I thought those were all the things that you wanted. And I was like, ooh, like kicking in the gut. And I was like, wow, you're right, Melissa. Those are all the things. Not only did I want them, I prayed for years for some of those things. And God has blessed me with all these great things. And do they have challenges? For sure. But my perspective has changed enough that all I could say was negative things. I wasn't counting my blessings. I wasn't thinking Jesus. I was only complaining. So my perspective had gotten off, right? So is it okay if we ask the Lord today to reset our perspective? Is it okay if we ask him what his perspective is on things in our life? Is it okay if we have real, raw conversations with God that sometimes we avoid because we don't want to know the answers, like the one I had with Melissa in my kitchen that day? Is it okay if we ask God, like, why am I complaining? Why do I have this perspective? What has caused me to change where I used to see here and now I'm somewhere over here? Is that okay if we do that this morning? Awesome. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so, so careful and so um, specific in the way that you handle our hearts. You don't treat us all the same. It's not a cookie-cutter relationship. God, you tenderly and carefully and attentively care for each one of our lives and our hearts. And I'm so thankful for that because sometimes I need a kick in the pants. And sometimes I need you to be really careful because I feel really fragile. And God, sometimes I need you to squeeze my heart so that it will pump again. And sometimes I just need you to laugh with me and to celebrate. And God, you are so wonderful in the way that you care for us. And God, this morning my prayer is that we would have your perspective, your heart. Without your heart, we see things skewed. It just is what it is. We, we don't see it correctly. We see it filtered or changed. So God, I'm asking that each one of us this morning, that you would speak to each one of us about your perspective. How do you see things? How do you see us? How do you look past the difficulty to the other side? God, we open up our hearts, we open up our minds, and we ask that you would have your way. Lord, I know that no fancy message, no fancy words, no story could communicate your heart, but you can. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Speak to us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is God's perspective about me? Have you ever asked that? Like, God, what do you think about me? It's kind of a weird question because we don't like to, like, dote on ourselves. Like, I'm so awesome, right? But have you ever asked God that? A couple years ago, we took a class, and, and that was one of the things. Like, ask God what he thinks about you. I'm like, well, that's weird. And so we've gotten in this habit of going, God, what do you think about me? Watch out. Ask him. What do you think about me? You're going to hear things that you're like, you do? Things that maybe you think about other people, but you would never think about yourself. And then when he says them, don't dismiss them. 
say, wow, thank you, God. That's pretty awesome. Do you ever ask God what he thinks about situations? When you have a perspective about something, what does he think about that? When your kids are having trying times or someone at work is really going through something hard and you can tell that they're trying to push through and just get through work, but you know on the inside they're breaking. Do you ever stop and go, God, what are your thoughts for that person? What do you want me to do in this situation? It's getting his perspective, right? So we're going to read some scriptures that tell us what God's perspective is. I believe that the best way to understand what God thinks about me and what he thinks about you is to read it in his word. There are so many. I've grabbed a couple. Some of these you're going to know by heart, and you've heard them since you were little. Some of them maybe not, but there are hundreds, and I just grabbed a few of them. So the first one we all know very well, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know, God says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. What are they? Thoughts of good and not of evil. Thoughts to prosper you, to bring you a hope and a future. How many people have quoted that? Like, that has got you through seasons, right? That is a keeper. Put that one in your pocket. He says, I know the thoughts I have for you. So we should be asking him, God, what do you think about me? He knows the thoughts that he has for us. And they're to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. Psalm 139, the whole stinking chapter is amazing. You should read it. But verse 16 and 17 says, Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet they were none of them. How precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. How great is the sum of them. He has so many thoughts for you. I'd be happy if God was like, Kara, I think you're great. I'd be like, yeah, God thinks I'm great. But he has so many thoughts about me, we can't count them all. How awesome is that? Mark's one of my biggest fans, and he tells me all the time, he thinks I'm great, or you did that, that was wonderful, I love you, babe, you're beautiful, whatever. And I get that fills my cup. God, he has so many thoughts, we can't even count them. What would be the sum of them? Isn't that amazing? 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Right? 1 Peter 2.9 We know this one too, right? But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Psalm 149.4 For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. So you could read that. For the Lord takes pleasure in me. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Isaiah 55.8-9 For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I like the scripture. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. There are times when I think things, and I'm like, ah, that's pretty good. But the Lord's like, hmm, it's a little off. Or the timing's not right. Or did I tell you that? Or did you read that somewhere? 
did you see that on Instagram or is that what I said? And I'm like, oh, especially these days with all the little memes and pictures and comments and quotes. I even said, um, you've probably heard me tell this story, but I went to a college thing with Acacia. We were looking at colleges for her. And I'm sitting at the desk, and I'm all excited. My first kid might be going to college. And so we're talking to the lady, and behind her is this picture with these little rocks. You know how they make the little, they build the little rocks into the little pile or whatever, and it had some quote on it. And I don't remember what it says, and I was like, that's awesome. So I got home, and I told Mark, I wrote it in my phone, and I got home and told Mark, and I'm like, babe, listen to this. So good. And I read it to him, and he just stands there. I'm like, it's good, right? And he's like, you know that's not biblical, right? And I was like, what? And then I thought about it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. You're so right. I had totally bought into it. I know the word. I know what he says. I know his heart. But just because it looks good or it sounds good or it's got a cool graphic, you got to be careful. What does he say about you? What is his perspective? Nancy Alcarn, the founder of Mercy Multiplied, says this. Living in freedom and getting God's perspective means hiding God's word in your heart with regular, passionate meditation and memorization. I'm going to read it again. Living in freedom and getting God's perspective. Here's what you have to do to get that. means hiding God's word in your heart with regular, passionate meditation and memorization. Do we do this? Because we all want to live in freedom and have God's perspective. And her, and her view on that is we have to love God's word and we have to get it. And we have to read it and meditate on it. And regularly do that, right? That's how it gets into our heart. That's how we gain her, his perspective. It is important for us to know what the word of God says. To know God is to know his word. Some of you might be saying, I don't really know God. Like, I kind of know some things, and I, I think that he's good, and it's easy. There's a Bible. There's an app. They're all over the place these days, right? At least here. Let's read it. If you want to get to know him, get in his word. So I have some do's and don'ts to having the Father's perspective. I'm not a big do's and don'ts person because I don't think it's always fruitful. However... The Word of God has lots to say about do's and don'ts. Okay? So we're going to do the don'ts first. So don't, and this is talking about getting the Father's perspective, don't focus and obsess about your problems, struggles, and trials. Who does that? Anybody obsess about those things? No, not you. We have them. Trials and tribulations. In fact, the scripture's full of it. You're going to go through it. And you should celebrate, by the way, when you get into those situations. Don't you love that scripture? But we're not supposed to focus and obsess about them. Do we have them? Yes. Do we need to acknowledge them? Yes. Do we need to recognize them? For sure. And then we got to submit them to God, right, and move forward. All right, so let's not obsess. Um, do, do not, don't forget his promises. Psalm 103.2. I'm just going to throw out the references if you want to write them down and read them later. Um, don't forget his promises. I'm very forgetful. Cadence actually told me the other day, she's like, Mom, I think you need to go to the doctor. I'm like, why? She's like, you asked me the same thing like five times. I'm like, I'm a mom. That's my job. I'm actually nailing it right now, right? But do we forget his promises? Does he say stuff to us or do we read it in his word and then we get busy and we're like, like when I got my 
preschool and my family and my kids and I had all these promises and I was living the dream and I was complaining about it because I forgot these are my promises don't believe the lies of the enemy or the lies that you tell yourself or the lies that everyone else tells you this is a hard one guys we are being lied to from morning till night by ourselves, by the TV by whatever it is we're listening to being bombarded Um, a friend of ours um, works in a hospital with uh, kids, mostly teen girls, but some teen boys as well that struggle with anorexia and bulimia. She said that kids these days hear from 300 to 600 times a day that they are not good enough. Whereas when we were younger, we, meaning as older people, older, older older-ish, we heard negative stuff maybe from our peers, maybe from parents sometimes, or people around us. Our kids these days are seeing it, and we're seeing it too, scrolling on those things Your lashes aren't long enough. You're not thin enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Your house isn't nice enough. Your phone isn't updated enough. Whatever. They're hearing it three to 600 times a day that they are not good enough. Lies, 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 right? So don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to the bad reports. Do we do this one to you? Yeah. Now, this is hard. If you've got an expert and you've got a doctor and they give you a bad report, it's hard not to listen to that, isn't it? Like, oh, the doctor said, I have this. I've been diagnosed with that. May that be true? Sure. But do you have to accept it? You don't. You absolutely don't. Don't be conformed to this world. This is one of my favorites. Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be carnally minded. That's hard to do, right? Super easy to be carnally minded. And that is in Romans 8, 6. Don't remember the former things, nor the things of old. Isaiah 43, 18. It's kind of the image of, if you're always looking back, how do you go forward, right? Don't worry and give room to fear. Anybody guilty of that one? Don't worry. That's a hard one. Don't worry and don't give room to fear. Okay, so those are the don'ts of gaining the Father's perspectives, perspective. Here is the do's. So do meditate on the word and choose what you think. Psalm 1, verse 2. I love that Psalm, you know the Psalms are long and meaty and yummy and there's so many good stuff in the Psalms, right? The very first book of Psalms, Psalms 1, talks about meditating on his word and choosing what we think. You get to choose what you believe and what you think. My kids are like, stop saying that. I say it all the time. I'm like, you get to choose. God has given us the choice to choose what we hear, what we believe, if we're going to accept it, the lies, right? Do remember his promises, 2 Corinthians 1.20. Do be thankful and have a heart of gratitude. It's hard to complain when, you're, when you have a heart of gratitude and you're thankful, right? Do be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I love that scripture. That is Romans 12, 2. We talked about that. That's another part of the one before. I love that about the Bible. It often in one sentence will tell you what not to do and what to do. Don't do this, but do this. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? The next one, do be spiritually minded. Romans 8, 6. Do trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
Do set your mind on things above. Colossians 3.2 Do choose to believe what God says. Ephesians 1.18-19 We're going to read a story about someone here in a second that, has, that had to choose to believe. But when God says something to us, if I say, God, what do you think about me? And he's like, I think you're really, I think you're really great at loving your spouse. And I'm like, oh. I can be like, yeah, thanks. Or I can be like, no, I'm actually not. Nope. Nope, God, you're wrong. I'm not really good at that. I'm good at this other thing. When God speaks something to us, we get to choose to believe it or not, don't we? Do stay the course even when it's hard. Wah, wah, wah. That's a hard one. Do stay the course. The Bible is full of stories of people who had to stay the course. Life sucks sometimes. Life is hard sometimes. Life, you just don't want to get up and face it. There's difficulty. And it's not like my fridge is empty and I don't have food. It's like hard stuff. But you get to choose. You don't always get to choose what happens to you. But you do get to choose how you respond and how you live it out, right? So those are the do's and don'ts. So both of these uh, categories, the do's and the don'ts, both require you and I to do something. We have a choice every day. And we get to ask God for his perspective. And I love this part. We get to align our hearts with his. It's a choice. I don't really think God's like, you're over here. And he's like, get over here. Now, sometimes he might. But most of the time, he's like, I'm right here. You're over here. Come on. And he lovingly is like, right here. Right? And that happens faster when you say yes to God, I have found. All right, so Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. These are kind of some of the topics topics that we just talked about. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I, God, will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Ah! Have you guys ever experienced this in your life where there's like barrenness or brokenness or like your life's like a desert and then all of a sudden something breaks and you're like, huh! There's like this refreshing, there's this water, there's this life that only God could have done. That's awesome. Romans 12, 2. Told you this is one of my favorites. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Romans 8, 6. For uh, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Don't we often try to find life and peace in the worldly things? That doesn't really work out, does it? Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. All right, so we're going to quickly take a snapshot. I love that Linda said snapshot. I'm like, I have that in my notes too. Snapshot of three different people. The first one is Abraham. Um, So we're just going to, obviously these people have a long life and all sorts of great stories that we could tell. But Abraham, the part that I'm going to share is when he was actually called Abram. He was 75 years old. His wife was 65 years old. They had no children. And the word Abram, his name means exalted father. So back in Bible times, names were very important and people knew what everybody's names meant. Now if you ask me what my name means, I'm like, oh no, I have no idea. (laughs) 
But in Bible times, they knew every name was very specific and it had a meaning, and other people knew the meaning. So here he's walking around with the name that means exalted father, and he has no children. So that was his situation. That was his perspective, right? God's perspective on the situation was that Abraham would have so many descendants that no one would be able to even count them all, which means if he has so many descendants, he would have to have children. Makes sense, right? Okay. So Abraham, who God later renamed Abraham, was older and nearest, no children. I wonder what the people around him are saying. Like, that's so stupid. You have this name, but you have no kids. What God do you serve? Really? Like, you're 75. You're old, dude. So let's read Genesis 15, 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? Abram said, and I'm kind of skipping a few things so we can get through this. Look, you have given me no offspring. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, The one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. I love the story. I love the raw dialogue between him and God. Don't you love that? Like, he's like, I'm childless. You haven't given me a child? What are you talking about? He's asking God, what are you going to give me? I am childless. Look, you've given me no offspring. He's calling God out. You haven't done this for me. And God takes him outside. And he shows him the stars and says, "This can't, can you even count them? This is how many descendants you're going to have. And here's what Abram said. This gets me every time. And he believed in the Lord. If you were that guy, would you be like, all right. It's not like he said, you know, within three years you'll have one kid. I'd be like, yeah, I believe it. That's great. You're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. You can't even count them. And he's like, and I believed. Sometimes God has to tell me stuff like 18 times in 18 different ways with 18 people. He just believed what God said. And we know the story, right? There were so many descendants. So here's a picture of a tree, because that's what we're doing today. So look at this picture. Do you see a tree? Do you see the stars? Do you see the guy? Do you see the rocks? Perspective. To me, in this picture, the tree represents our life. It's a dead tree or a lifeless or fruitless tree at the moment. It's barren. It's it doesn't have a swing on it. It doesn't have fruit on it. It doesn't have kids climbing it. It's just, to me, it's barren. It's dead. And to Abram, that may have been his life. Like, I got nothing. But God sees the stars. God sees past the tree. He sees past the barrenness. He sees past that season or that hurt. And he's like, this over here, the promise, the future, the destiny, that's what God sees. So in your life, what is the tree? Is it barrenness? Is it brokenness? Is it a hurt or unforgiveness? Is it a relationship? Is it a sickness? 
if you don't know, ask him, Lord, what's my tree? Because God wants to take you past the tree because there is promise for you too. All right, next snapshot of Joseph. His situation was he had 11 brothers. All the kids should know this story. Are they in here? They all know this story. They can tell, you should ask them actually about Joseph because they know all about him. We studied him for a long time. So Joseph had 11 brothers, but he was the favored and favorite one of his dad. His dad, Jacob, loved him the best. So his brothers despised him and even plotted to kill him. So that was his situation. That was his perspective. But God's perspective was that God wanted to use him to save his family from great famine and also to bring forgiveness and unity among his family. So Joseph has a crazy story. Genesis 37. We're not going to read it because it's all throughout several chapters, actually. But talk about drama mama and a dysfunctional family. Okay, Joseph was born. He was a favored one like we talked about. His brothers were so extremely jealous they could not handle it. So they decided to throw him in a cistern, which is like an empty water tank. There was no water in there. So that he would die, and it would be like, oops, he must have died on his own. So they throw him in there. All 11 of them agreed to this. Don't you think there'd be one brother that would be like, probably shouldn't do that. We probably shouldn't kill the favored son, our brother. Oh, no. They all threw him in there. Okay? They were so jealous of him. So they throw him in, the, in there, hoping he would die. They sold his colored jacket, his colored coat that was just awesome. He got this coat. No one else did. They stole it from him. And then they ended up selling him into slavery. Oh, we can make some money. Let's get rid of this guy. See you later. Do you have that story? That's crazy. So as a result, Joseph's position, he you'll have to read the story, but God's favor was on him wherever he went. He ended up being in leadership. God saved his whole family and brought reconciliation and forgiveness to his family. Amazing story. God's perspective was totally different. My brothers never tried to kill me. That's crazy. Right? All right, last but not least, snapshot of Jesus. So this is just a little piece. So his situation, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was not liked, and eventually, we all know, then he was killed. That was his situation. What was the father's perspective? That he was the son of God, that he was the healer, that he was the fulfillment of the prophecies of old that he is a savior to all humanity. All humanity, from beginning to end. That was God's perspective. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He was obedient to the Father, was completely blameless, sinless, even when it meant losing his life. And even though he was innocent, we know this, he was mocked, he was made fun of, he was punished, he was tortured and put to death by the very people that he came to save. Can you imagine? I know when I go out of my way for somebody and I do something really nice or I'm wor- and they're mean to me, I'm like, wait a second. It makes me a little angry. Because I'm like, I went out of my way for this. I try not to, but I, I get a little mad. Jesus came to save the world, and those very people that he loved sent him to death. The Father's love, though, 
the father's perspective was love and redemption. Right? So here's the good news. The father's perspective, he sees the beginning from the end. He sees it all, all at the same time. I don't know how he does that, but he's God and he does. So think about your life. He saw you when you were in your mother's womb. He knew you. He knew you when you were one. He knew you when you started to toddle around and walk around. He knew you when you fell off your bike. He knew you when you got hurt at school. He knew you when you struggled in middle school or had that teacher, that friend that hurt you. He knew you in high school, after high school. He knows you now. All the intricacies, all the details. And he also knows how it's going to end. He also knows the beauty that's around the corner. He also knows the trials that are coming and the pitfalls, and he's making provisions right now. I don't know what commercial it is. It might be Verizon or something. But the woman's, like, walking around, and she's talking about how great the product is, and then, like, there's a hole in the ground, and all of a sudden, like, she doesn't fall in it. And then she's, like, doing stuff, and, like, all these things are, like, about ready to happen to her, but somehow they don't because the product's so great. Is it Verizon or I don't know? God is going before you, and there's a pitfall, and he's putting a bridge over the pitfall. He's making it a little less hard. And you know what? You might still end up in the ditch. You might still end up over here. That person might still end up hurting you, but he is with you, and he is making a way for us already. Isn't that awesome? So he sees without fear, worry, or shame. Isn't that awesome? He sees you. He doesn't worry about you. He doesn't worry about your kids or your neighbors or your friends or your mom or your dad. He doesn't worry. He doesn't worry. Do you worry? I worry. He He's never worried. He's never been worried ever. That is not her, his perspective. His perspective to us is through the lens of Jesus, the price that Jesus paid. That's the lens that he gets to see us through. Redemption, reconciliation, love, forgiveness, joy, peace, grace. Think of a moment where a teacher, a coach, maybe a parent gave you perspective. You thought you knew what was going on, and you're like, this is what I'm doing. And that person came along and was like, hey, let me kind of speak into this a little bit. So you're out there on the soccer field, and you're playing defense, and so you're doing great, and you keep kicking the ball out, and that's fine. However, like the forwards are ready, so if you could just pass it down the middle to the center field, and that girl, then that would be better. And you get out there, and you do it, and you're like, I didn't see it, because in the moment the ball's there, and the the girl's not, and you just kick it out. Perspective. Why? Because the coach knows the game. Why? Because the coach is on the sideline. He can see all of it at once. How much more awesome is God's perspective? Right? So like Abram, we see barrenness. God sees multiplication and promise. Like Joseph, we see loneliness and brokenness. God sees family and healing. Like Jesus, we see betrayal and judgment. God sees victory and redemption. So I talked to the kids about this last week in class, the great exchange. Have you ever heard that? The great exchange. Think about this. We have an awesome Savior, and we get to make a great exchange with him anytime we need to. 
do you, did you like to exchange stuff when you were little? Like, I'll give you this little toy if you give me that little toy. There's Pokemon cards you can trade. There's all sorts of different ways you can do that. But we get to make a trade with God. And here's the cool part. It is not a fair trade. Let's be perfectly clear. It is not a fair trade. I get to bring my hurt and my pain. And what I get in return is peace. I get to give him loneliness. And out of it, I get acceptance. I get to give him anger. And he gives me peace. Whatever it is that you have in your heart, it's the great exchange. And at any moment, you can give him what you have. And he doesn't go, well, you probably should give me some more stuff. It's not a fair trade. He's like, I got it. And he lavishes it on us. He's not stingy. He's not like, well, here's a little bit, but you probably should change your behavior. You probably shouldn't have done that, so here's just a little piece. Maybe you'll figure it out. No, our God is like, come here, sweetie. Come here, buddy. Look at all this good stuff I have for you. It's, it's free. It's accessible. It's free to us because God paid it, right? So we get to trade in sadness. The kids, we did this whole thing, and they wrote down all these things. Depression, anxiety, sadness, loneliness. The things that they wrote down was ripping out my heart. Because they were hurting. But I said, guys, here's the cool thing. We're going to cross these out, and we're going to write down what God is giving us instead. Because we don't have to stay depressed. We don't have to stay sad. We don't have to stay broken. We don't have to stay rejected. We get to trade it in and cash it in for his good gifts. And here's the key, guys. We have to choose. God isn't going to make you do it. Your mom might try to make you do it. God is not going to make you do it. It's a choice that we get to do. So I want to throw this out here. Behind every bondage, behind every hurt, behind every painful thing is a lie. If there is something like that that's yucky and hurting, kind of like a wound that's festering, there is a lie that you believed. It could have happened years and years ago. It could have happened this morning. I would love for you to ask God, what is the lie? I've had to do this. What is the lie? I keep, like, doing this over and over. Like, what is this? What is the lie that's causing me to do that? And God will say, here's my perspective. I know exactly what that's about. I'm your daddy. I got you. You don't have to figure it out. He's the smart one. He's God. Right? So we're going to talk to God. And we're going to ask him for his perspective. I have a picture of a boy looking through a, one of those tower viewers. Sometimes this is us. That's our perspective. It doesn't turn very far. We only see the one building or the, the one thing. And God's like, look, look. And you're like, I am. I'm looking. I'm looking. I've been looking. And he's like, could you step away from the viewer? But we're so content we're so stuck in what we're seeing that we just stay there. And God's like, there's this whole world of stuff, and you're just like looking at this one little thing in this one little place. 
His perspective is vast. It's huge. So here's some questions. God, where do I have disbelief in my heart? Remember how Abram just believed? Maybe he has shown you something. Maybe he's given you his perspective and you dismissed it because you're like, it's too big. That's crazy. Not me. Not little old me. Some of you that got the word that you were just a little tree, maybe you're thinking, that would be great for so-and-so, but you got the wrong person. That's pretty big. Or maybe right after that something happened and you're like, well, there went that. And you just assumed it was that situation when actually God was speaking about something much different. So are you like Abram? Are you like Joseph? Are you like Jesus? Jesus still felt betrayal. He still felt hurt. He had to trade that in, you guys. He wasn't, he, he felt, he did life. He hurt, he ached. God, Father, if there's any other way. But we get to cash it in. 